Sixth Adventure, Part One, of Master Flea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfeld. Master Flea by E. T. A. Hoffman. Sixth Adventure, Part One strange behavior of strolling jugglers in a tavern together with a tolerable buffeting tragical history of a tailor of sachsenhausen how george pepusch astonished some honest folks the horoscope pleasant battle of some well-known people in leuwenhoek's apartments all the passers-by stopped stretched out their necks and peeped through the window into the coffee-room with every moment the crowd grew greater the pressure more violent and the noise louder. All this was occasioned by two strangers, who, besides that their form, their dress, their whole manner had something extraordinary about it that was repulsive and ridiculous at the same time, played off many wonderful tricks such as never been seen before. The one, an old man of a dirty, disagreeable appearance, was dressed in a surtout of shining stuff, sometimes he made himself thin and long sometimes he would shrink himself up to a short fat fellow winding about all the time like a worm the other with powdered hair motley silk coat underdress of the same large silver buckles and altogether resembling a petit maitre of the last half of the foregoing century repeatedly flew up to the ceiling and then gently let himself down again while with a cheerful voice he trilled discordant songs in a language altogether unknown. According to the host's declaration, they had both come in, one a short time after the other, like orderly people, and had called for wine. Then they had gazed more and more keenly on each other, and entered into conversation, and although the language of it was unintelligible to all the guests, yet their tone and manner showed they were engaged in a dispute which grew warmer and warmer suddenly they had taken their present form and began these mad tricks which continually attracted more spectators the man who flies up and down so admirably exclaimed one of the spectators is the clockmaker dagen of vienna he who invented the flying machine with which he is constantly contriving to tumble down upon his nose no replied another that is not the clockmaker i should rather fancy that it was the little tailor of sachsenhausen if i did not know that the poor thing was burnt i know not whether my readers are acquainted with the little tailor of sachsenhausen oh, here it is history of the little tailor of sachsenhausen it happened that a pious little tailor at sachsenhausen was coming out of church one Sunday with his wife in all his best attire. The air was raw, the little tailor had taken nothing overnight but a soft-boiled egg and a few pickled gherkins, and in the morning a cup of coffee. Moreover, he had been singing most vehemently in the church, and hence he began to feel in a piteous plight, and to long for a dram. As he had worked hard through the week, and had been particularly kind to his better half, making her a very pretty gown out of the pieces cabbaged from his customers she consented into his going into the apothecary's and getting himself a dram which he did accordingly 
the awkward apprentice, who was alone in the shop, made a mistake, and took down a bottle which, instead of a dram, contained inflammable gas, wherewith balloons are filled. Of this the apprentice poured out a full glass, and the tailor, putting it at once to his mouth, swallowed off the gas as an agreeable reviver. It made him, however, feel very strangely, as if he had got a pair of wings on his shoulders, or as if some one were playing at football with him, for he felt himself compelled to jump up and down in the shop, and with every moment the impetus increased. "'Ay, Jiminy, Jiminy!' he cried. "'What a nimble dancer I have grown!' The apothecary's apprentice stood with his mouth gaping wide from pure wonder, when it chanced that some one opened the door so hastily that the opposite window flew open also. A strong current of air poured in, caught up the little tailor, and away he sailed through the window, since when he has not been seen. But it happened some time after that the people of Sachsenhausen observed in the air a fireball, which lighted the whole country with its brightness, and then, being extinguished, fell to earth. All were eager to know what had dropped and ran to the place but found nothing more than a little heap of ashes. But with this the tongue of a shoe-buckle, a little piece of yellow satin with flowers, and a uh, something black which to look at was like the horn-top of a walking-stick. All were in deep counsel how such things could fall down from heaven in a fireball, when the wife of the departed tailor came up, and on seeing these things wrung her hands, took on most piteously, and cried out, "'Ah! woe, that is my husband's buckle! Oh, woe, that is my husband's Sunday waistcoat! Oh, woe, that is my husband's cane-top!' A very learned man, however, has declared that the cane-top was no cane-top, but a meteoric ball, or an abortive globe. Thus was made known to the people of Sachsenhausen and to all the world, that the poor little tailor, to whom the apothecary's apprentice had given inflammable gas instead of a dram, was burnt in the air, and had fallen to earth as a meteoric ball, or an abortive globe. End of the History of the Little Tailor of Sachsenhausen The taverner was at length impatient that the odd guest did not cease making himself now larger, now smaller, without paying him any attention and held the flask of burgundy, which he had ordered, close to his nose. The stranger caught fast hold of it immediately, and did not let go till he had drained the last drop. Then he sank, as if fainting, into an armchair, and would scarcely move himself. The guests observed, with astonishment, that he swelled more and more during the drinking, and now appeared quite thick and shapeless. The fly-work of the other seemed also to be at a stand. He was about to sit down, panting and breathless, but perceiving how his adversary lay there half-dead, he flew suddenly upon him, and began to belabour him soundly with his fists. The host, however, pulled him off, and declared that he would turn him out of the house if he did not keep quiet. If they both wished to show their jugglers' tricks, they were welcome to do so, but without quarrelling and fighting like blackguards. The flying gentleman seemed to take it somewhat ill that the host should suppose he was a juggler, 
he protested that he was nothing less than a vagabond who went about playing off legerdemain tricks he had formerly been ballet-master to a celebrated king but now practised in private as an amateur and was called as his functions required he should be le genie if in his just indignation at the abominable fellow there he had sprung somewhat higher than was fitting that was his own business and concerned no one else the host on his part opined that all this did not justify any fisticuffs to which the amateur replied that mine host did not know the malicious fellow or he would willingly allow his back to be drubbed black and blue he had formerly been the french custom-house officer and now gained a livelihood by bloodletting, cupping and shaving and was called monsieur leech a nuisance to everybody by his awkwardness stupidity and gluttony it was not enough that the scoundrel wherever he met him whisked away the wine from his very lips as he had done just now but he was plotting to carry off his bride whom he intended to carry home from frankfurt the douanier had heard all that the amateur advanced and glancing at him with his little malicious eyes said to the host don't believe a syllable that the gallows bird there is chattering an admirable ballet master truly who with his elephant feet crushes the legs of the fair dancers and with his pirouette knocks a tooth out of the manager's jaw at the wing and his verses too they have as awkward feet as himself and tumble here and there like drunkards treading the thoughts to pap because he flutters heavily in the air at times like a drowsy gander the conceited peacock fancies he is to have the fair one for his bride at this the indignant amateur cried out thou satan's worm thou shalt feel the gander's beak and would have fallen upon the douanier again when the host seized him from behind with strong arm and amidst the rejoicing of the assembled crowd flung him out of the window no sooner was the amateur gone when m leech resumed the plain solid form in which he had entered the people without took him for quite another person than the juggler who had played such strange tricks and quietly dispersed the douanier thanked mine host in the most obliging terms for his aid against the amateur and to prove his gratitude offered to shave him for nothing and more pleasantly than he had ever been shaved in his life before the host felt his beard and it seemed to him at the moment as if the hairs were terribly long he accepted mr leech's offer who accordingly set about it at first with a light dexterous hand but suddenly he cut his nose so shrewdly that the blood streamed down the host deeming this to be nothing else than malice seized the douanier who flew as nimbly out of the door as the amateur through the window immediately after there arose a loud tumult without and scarcely allowing himself time to stop the bleeding of his nose with lint he flew out to see what devil was raising this new uproar there to his no little astonishment he saw a young man who with one hand grasped the amateur and with the other the douanier and with rolling eyes exclaimed ah satan's brood you shall not cross my way you shall not rob me of gamaheh while his prisoners intermixed their cries of 
a madman save save us host he mistakes us he will murder us hey cried the host what are you about my good mr pepusch have you been offended by these strange people perhaps you are mistaken in them this is the ballet-master monsieur le genie and this is the douanier monsieur leech ballet-master le genie douanier leech repeated pepusch in a hollow voice he seemed as if waking out of a dream and trying to recollect himself and in the meantime two honest citizens of his acquaintance came out of the inn who joined in persuading him to be quiet and let the fellows go about their business again pepusch exclaimed palais master le genie douanier leech and let his arms drop powerless by his side with the speed of wind the released prisoners were off and it seemed to many in the street as if the abbot had fled over the roofs of the neighbouring houses and the barber was lost in the puddle that had collected itself between the stones before the door the two citizens invited the distracted pepusch to come in and drink a glass of old hock with them an offer which he readily accepted and seemed to enjoy the generous wine though he sat silent and abstracted and answered not a word to all that could be said to him at last however his features brightened up and he said very kindly you did well my friends in hindering me from killing on the spot those wretches who were in my power but you know not what dangerous creatures lurk beneath their masks pepusch paused and it may be easily supposed with what eagerness the citizens waited for what he had to discover the host also had approached them and all three poked their heads together with their arms crossed upon the table and held in their breath that they might not lose a syllable from pepusch's mouth see my good people he continued solemnly see he whom you call the ballet-master le genie is no other than the evil awkward genius tatel the other whom you took for the douanier leech is the hateful bloodsucker the leech prince both are in love with the princess gamaheh who as you know is the daughter of the mighty king sekakas and are here to make her false to the thistle saharit this is the greatest folly that ever entered into a foolish brain for besides the thistle saharit there is but one person in the world to whom she can belong and this person would perhaps vainly enter into the contest with saharit for soon the thistle will bloom at midnight in full splendour and strength and in death of love dawns the morning of a higher life now i myself am the thistle saharit and therefore my good friends you cannot blame me if i am indignant with these traitors and altogether take the whole affair much to heart the three listeners opened their eyes wide and stared speechlessly at pepusch with open mouths they had tumbled out of the clouds as people say and their heads were humming with the fall but pepusch emptied a bumper turning to the host said yes yes mine host you will soon see that i shall bloom as the cactus grandiflorus and the whole country round will be impregnated with its perfume you may believe me friends the host could utter nothing but an exclamation of stupid surprise ah that would be the deuce 
the two citizens exchanged mysterious glances, and one, taking George's hand, said with a doubtful smile, uh, "'You seem to be somewhat disquieted, my good Pepouche. How, if you were to take a glass of water—' "'And not a drop!' exclaimed Pepouche, interrupting the well-meant counsel. "'Not a drop! Has water ever been poured upon boiling oil without increasing the fury of the flames? I am disquieted, do you say?' in truth that may well be the case how the devil can i be otherwise after having exchanged shots with my bosom friend and then sending a bullet through my own brain here into your hands i deliver up the murderous weapons now that all is over pepouche drew a brace of pistols from his pocket whereat the host started back the citizens snatched at them but no sooner had they fairly hold of them then they burst out into immoderate laughter. The pistols were of wood, a plaything from the Christmas fair. Pepouche seemed to pay no attention to what was going on about him. He sat in deep thought, and continually cried out, If I could but find him! The host took courage, and modestly asked, Whom do you mean, my good Mr. Pepouche? Whom can you not find? Know you, said Pepouche solemnly, and fixing the host with a keen gaze, know you any one to be compared, in might and wondrous power, with the king Secaucus? Then name his name, and I will kiss your feet. But for the rest, I would ask you if you know any one who is acquainted with Mr. Peregrine Teese, and can tell me where I may meet him at this present moment. To this the host replied, smirking amiably, here i can serve you respected mr pepouche and inform you that he was with me an hour ago taking a glass of wine he was very thoughtful and when i asked what's news on the exchange he suddenly cried out yes sweet gamahe i have renounced you be happy in my george's arms upon this a thin curious voice said let us now go to leuvenhoek's and peep into the horoscope immediately mr teese emptied his glass and they went away together that is mr teese and uh, the, the voice without a body probably they have gone to leuvenhoek's who is lamenting that his well-disciplined fleas have one and all deserted him the words were scarcely out of the host's mouth than george started up in a fury and seizing him by the throat cried out scoundrel what do you say renounced renounced her gamahe peregrine sicokes the host's story however was perfectly correct he had heard master flea who was summoning peregrine in his fine silver tones to go to the microscopist leuvenhoek for what purpose the reader knows already peregrine had really gone thither and was received by leuvenhoek with that soft odious friendliness and that humility of compliment which announced the burthensome and reluctant recognition of superiority but as mr teese had the microscopic glass in the pupil of his eye all this complimenting and subservience availed antony von leuwenhoek nothing in the world on the contrary peregrine only the more discovered the hatred which filled the heart of the microscopist while he protested how much he felt honoured and rejoiced by mr teese's visit the thoughts ran thus 
I wish that the devil had plunged you ten thousand fathoms deep in the abyss, but I must feign friendship and submission towards you, as the cursed constellation has placed me under your dominion, and my whole being in some sort depends upon you. But perhaps I may be able to outwit you, for, in spite of your high decent, you are a simple fool. You fancy that Dorcha Elverdink loves you, and will perhaps marry her. Only come to me about it, and you fall into my hands, in spite of the power that dwells within you without your knowing it, and I will employ everything to ruin you, and gain possession of Dorcha and Master Flea. Peregrine naturally regulated his conduct by these thoughts, and took good care not to say a syllable about Dorje Elverdink, and pretended that he came to see Leuwenhoek's collection of natural rarities. While now Leuwenhoek opened the great drawers, Master Flea whispered very gently in Peregrine's ear that his, Peregrine's, horoscope was lying on the table by the window. Here he saw all manner of lines that mysteriously crossed each other, and many other wonderful signs. But, as he was entirely deficient in astronomical knowledge, all remained confused and dark to him, look as keenly as he would. Yet it seemed strange to him that in the bright red point, in the middle of the table on which the horoscope was drawn, he plainly recognized himself. The longer he looked at this point, the more it gained the shape of a heart, and the more brightly it reddened. Still it only sparkled as through a web with which it was overspread. Peregrine plainly saw that Leuwenhoek wanted to draw off his attention from the horoscope, and, as he ran no risk of being deceived, very rationally resolved to question his friendly enemy at once, and without any circumlocution, as to the meaning of the mysterious table. Leuwenhoek assured him, with a malicious smile, that nothing would give him greater pleasure than the explaining to his respected friend the signs upon the table, which he himself had drawn, according to his slight knowledge in such matters. The thoughts ran thus. Oh, are you after that, my wise sir? In truth, Master Flea has not advised you ill. I myself am to explain the table and help you to the understanding of the magic might that dwells in your worthy person. I might invent some lies for you, but of what use would it be, for if I were to tell you the truth, you would not understand a syllable, but would remain stupid as ever. From pure convenience, therefore, and not to put myself to the trouble of invention, I will tell you so much of the signs of the table as seems good to me. Peregrine knew now that, if he was not to learn all, at least he would not be deceived with falsehood. Leuwenhoek placed the table on something like an easel, which he brought forward from a corner of the room, and both seating themselves before it, considered it for a time in silence. At length Leuwenhoek began with much solemnity. Uh, you perhaps do not suspect that these lines, these characters on the table, which you are so attentively considering, are your own horoscope, drawn by myself, with mysterious astrologic art, under the favourable influence of the stars. How came you to such a presumptuous idea? What could make you wish to unravel the web of my fate, to read my destiny? 
so might you ask my friend and with perfect justice if i were not able to show you my inward call thereto i know not whether you have heard of the celebrated rabbi isaac ben haravad among other profound knowledge he had the strange gift of reading by men's faces whether the soul had previously inhabited another body or whether it was to be considered quite fresh and new i was yet very young when the rabbi died of an indigestion brought on by eating a dish highly seasoned with garlic the jews ran away with the body so quickly that the deceased had not time to collect and carry off all his knowledge which the illness had scattered laughing heirs divided the property but i had fished off that wonderful seer gift in the very moment that the angel of death had set his sword upon the rabbi's breast in this way the wonderful faculty has come to me and i like the rabbi isaac ben haravad can read in the faces of men whether the soul has before occupied another body or not your brow mr teeth when i saw it the first time excited the strangest thoughts and doubts i was certain of the previous existence of your soul long ago and yet the form prior to your present life remained a perfect mystery i was forced to have recourse to the stars and draw your horoscope to solve the difficulty well exclaimed peregrine and have you discovered anything mr leuwenhoek certainly replied leuwenhoek assuming a still more solemn tone certainly i have discovered that the physical principle which now animates the agreeable body of my very worthy friend mr peregrine Teese, existed long ago although only as a thought or consciousness of a shape look here consider attentively the red point in the centre of the table this is not only yourself but the point is the form of which your physical principle once could not be conscious as a sparkling carbuncle you then lay in a deep mine of the earth but stretched over you on the green surface of the ground slept the beautiful gamahe and her form also passed away in unconsciousness strange lines and foreign constellations cross your life from the point of time when the thought first put on a form and became mr peregrine Teese. you are in possession of a talisman without knowing it and this talisman is that very red carbuncle it may be that king sekakis wore it as a precious jewel in his crown or perhaps in some measure was the carbuncle itself enough you possess it now but a certain event must take place if its slumbering power is to be awakened and with this waking of the power of your talisman will be decided the fate of an unhappy creature who hitherto has led a shadowy life between fear and changing hope alas alas it is only a shadowy life that the sweet gamaheh could gain by the profoundest magic as the operative talisman was stolen from us you alone have killed her you alone can breathe fresh life into her when the carbuncle glows again in your breast and can you interrupted peregrine can you explain what that event is which is to awake the power of the talisman the microscopist stared with open eyes at peregrine like a person who is suddenly surprised into confusion and who does not know what to say 
the thoughts ran thus if i had but held my tongue about the talisman which the unlucky rascal carries with him and which gives him so much power over us that we must all dance to his pipe and now i am to tell him the event on which depends the awakening of the strength of his talisman shall i confess to him that i don't know myself that all my art fails to loosen the knot in which the lines meet nay that when i consider the planetary centre of the horoscope i feel most piteously and my own learned head seems to me no better than a painted block of periwigs far from me be any such confession that would lower me and put arms into his hands against myself i will fasten something upon the idiot who fancies himself so wise something that shall make his blood run cold and take from him all further inclination of teasing me my dearest sir said the flea-tamer putting on a very important face my dearest mr tease don't ask me to speak of this event you know that the horoscope does indeed plainly and perfectly instruct us as to the existence of certain circumstances but such is the wisdom of eternal might the event of threatening dangers always remains dark and doubtful i esteem you too highly as an excellent kind-hearted man to put you into disquiet and anxiety before the time otherwise i should at least tell you so much that the event wishes to give you the consciousness of power would in the same moment destroy your present form of being with the most horrible agonies of hell but no on that too i will be silent and now not another word of the horoscope do not however fret yourself although the affair looks bad enough and i with all my knowledge can hardly see any chance of a favourable issue to the adventure perhaps you may be saved from this peril by some unexpected constellation which is now beyond the reach of observation peregrine was astonished at this deceit yet still the whole state of the thing the peculiar situation in which leuwenhoek stood without suspecting it appeared to him so exceedingly pleasant that he could not help breaking out into a loud fit of laughter the microscopist somewhat surprised at this asked what are you laughing at so vehemently my dear mr Tees? you do wisely replied peregrine still laughing you do very wisely in keeping secret out of pure kindness this threatening event for besides that you are too much my friend to put me into fear and terror you have yet another excellent reason for your silence which is nothing else than that you do not know a syllable about the matter in vain was all your labour to unriddle that knot your whole astrology goes but to little and if master flea had not fallen upon your nose all your arts would have helped you little leuwenhoek's brow was red with rage he clenched his fist gnashed his teeth and trembled so violently with agitation that he would have tumbled from his seat if peregrine had not held him as firmly by the arm as george pepusch grasped the unlucky taverner by the throat who at length succeeded in saving himself by a dexterous side-spring hereupon george rushed out and entered leuwenhoek's room just as peregrine was holding him fast upon his seat while he muttered furiously between his teeth cursed schwammerdam 
is it you that have done this? End of Sixth Adventure, Part One